And welcome to the Beervana Podcast. Hi, Jeff. Hey, Patrick. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, it's been a while since I've seen you. <laughs> that's, that's right. In a week. <laughs> it's a long, long, slow week. Uh, this is the second installment in our uh, Seattle trifecta, our Seattle trilogy. Are you really going to try to hoodwink the fans out there, the the reader, the listener? Yeah, it's been it's been a week, and, <laughs> and now we're ready to do this again. All right, so maybe it's just been a few minutes ago that we um, we recorded the last podcast, which is our Seattle overview. That's right. And now we're going to do the deep dive, to borrow a term that really annoys me. Oh, really? I use that term all the time. I know, and it really annoys me. <laughs> so now, you, so now you know. <laughs> now I know. Well, tell me more. Why does that irritate you? What should uh, I say? I don't know. The, all an these ex- little catchy things. An like, expansive look. Uh, yeah, a, a more detailed, thorough, in depth. In depth. What happened? What was wrong with in depth? Like uh, that was what we used to say. We're going to have an in depth look at the Seattle beer scene by talking to the beautiful. Now, when you say in depth, it means diving deeply. Exactly. In depth, right? right. So, so why do we need some kind of cute little <laughs> modern deep dive? We're going to drill down. Oh, that's even worse. Drill down. Don't say drill down. I never say drill okay, down. Okay, thank you. All right. Uh, this is the Beer Fun Podcast. You are Jeff Allworth uh, of questionable um, catchphrase taste. Uh, but you also happen to be author of The Secrets of Master Brewers, uh, The Beer Bible. That's a good one. I like that one. That's a good and one. And Cider Made Simple. Also that, a good one. That That's okay. You haven't read it, so you don't even know. Well, I've... You know how when you thumb through it, you, know, like, you kind of... I mean, there is a there is a notion of act, your eyeballs actually touching each page. Yeah, which so I that doubt happened. that you've done. I don't that think happened. you... I, I doubt even that. Okay, I'm going to be... So I'll out myself right now. Like, I yet, I'm yet to really catch the cider fever i know but you would like that book as would everybody listening i just want to say that book is really good it's, it's pop- super fascinating it's, it is it is in some ways the most uh, interesting thing i've written i actually know that book mostly just because i talked to you about almost all the stuff you wrote about and so i i, I do find it interesting it's narratively interesting everybody go buy it go out and buy that while you still can because that book is dying and it's going to go out of print so okay okay, wa- get it. okay watch me as i tie this all together so we're talking Excellent. about seattle and my mother used to live on Seattle, well, on Bainbridge Island, outside of Seattle. Not technically in Seattle, but right across Elliott Bay from Seattle. And she, thanks to you, yes. planted a cider apple orchard in her property before she left. I know. And somebody is benefiting from that even as we speak. Yeah, maybe it's still too early. That was a few years. How long does it take to, for them to really produce? Uh, if they planted the trees uh, and didn't graft in... Uh, old trees, which I think that's correct. She planted the trees. That's right. Yeah, it's going to take a while. Yeah, so I don't know if that. Years. I don't know if cider's being made from her apples, and hopefully the new owners will will take up the baton because she talked to cider producers before she even like she figured out what she was going to do with all these apples before she put them in. I know that was great. <laughs> okay, so that's about Seattle, and that's about <laughs> cider. But let's turn to beer. Yes. Uh, wait a minute. So your blog, you you blog at the Bravana blog, BravanaBlog dot com. I do, and you are Patrick Emerson. I am. Uh, contentious in this our, sec- <laughs> our, our second podcast, uh, and you are a professor of economics uh, at Oregon State University. Yeah, rudely reminded of the fact because this is the first week back in the winter term, and I actually had to teach. And I know you had to race back down. Into so I Portland. suddenly realized that I'm still a professor, <laughs> and I got a job to do. <laughs> Dang it! But you're no longer the chair of the department, which is great. Thank, 
God. Yes. Yes. Uh, and you tweet at Beeronomics. I do. I do. I'm actually doing it regularly, too. I know. Okay. So uh, the last podcast, we did an overview of our trip to Seattle, which um, you now know a lot about. Uh, and we visited um, two breweries in depth, um, meaning that we, we spent some time there. We talked to the brewers, owners. And uh, the first one we're going to talk about. Toward the breweries. Toward the breweries. Uh, what we're going to talk about today is Rubens Brews, uh, who have uh, a beautiful, actually we toured their second brewery because their original site is still there. We haven't seen it. Right. Um, but which it's like a nano. It's actually in the interview, which we did almost a month ago, so I've forgotten, but it's a small brewery. It is a small brew, brewery, and now they have a slightly bigger brewery. Um, well, a considerably bigger brewery, but it's still on a relatively small site, mm-hmm. and they have a separate site just behind the brewery to try to figure out how to deal with all the beer and the stuff. Uh, but anyway, it's in Ballard uh, in Seattle. Uh, and um, and this is one of the challenges, and something I don't think we mentioned last week, <clears throat> an hour ago. Well done. Uh, yes, you had you. me. <laughs> I was with you. Uh, which is... It feels like that long. Seattle uh, housing, or Seattle real estate prices are crazy expensive. So yes. these breweries really like to get on small... Uh, footprints because they're paying a lot of money for every square foot. So yeah, and this kind issue. of light industrial use space is really hard to find. Right. Uh, you, we'll talk more about that with, when we talk to Fremont, but it's 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 a problem. And that's actually one of the things that might also explain what we mentioned last time, which was the difference between Seattle and Portland brewers, is that Seattle brewers tend to just have breweries and tap rooms, and Portland tend to have pubs and full-scale restaurants. So Efficient um, spaces. Yeah, I think, it, I think space is a little bit cheaper in Portland still, and definitely was a few years ago. Uh, so we traveled to Rubens. Um, we met with the uh, lovely owners, uh, who were Adam and... Grace. Grace, thank you. Uh, both of them, by the way, are trained in economics. Oh, that's right. I guess so, totally forgotten about that because it was negligible. It, uh, negligible it will be, it will be mentioned in an interview, and it's an important <laughs> fact and probably explains all of their success. Right. right. Uh, and Grace, in fact, was an instru- economics instructor at a, at a uh, community college. So It's true. I actually tried to coax you guys into just going into some kind of weird deep dive into an economic... Well, because I don't dive and were, deeply, and I definitely don't <laughs> drill down. Were, and I knew yeah. that... I knew that that would not be scintillating podcasting it's, material. It's I, true. You guys were professionals. I did, I did touch on it, but then we went, then we moved on. Yes. Uh, but it is interesting because um, this is a story of a home brewer gone pro. Yep. And uh, but it's a home brewer with a lot of particular uh, acumen in in his case, counting and finance and economics in general. So uh, we really enjoyed our time. I have to say that that they left a really big impression on me. Um, really good people. Yeah, uh, really genuine. I really enjoyed our time there. I wish we had longer to spend. Um, and uh, in the middle, we'll break up the interview. Um, the interview's long. It ends up being about an hour of uh, talking. I hope you'll enjoy it. Uh, in the middle, we're going to break in. We're going to taste a little of their beer, which actually we found locally. Yeah. Uh, so I'm pretty excited about that because uh, we had a lot of beer then, and now we get to revisit. And during, and during that interview, we're drinking a beer, which we mentioned at the end of the, the interview. So at the end of the podcast, you'll hear about that, uh, which was um, a really spectacular beer. Uh, so that's a, a fourth beer that we'll, you'll hear us talk about. All right. So uh, without further ado, uh, let us get to the uh, interview. This is uh, Adam and Grace of Rubens Brewing in Seattle, Washington. All right. We are here in uh, Seattle again at uh, Rubens Brews with Adam and Grace. Uh, 
Hello. <laughs> and uh, we are on our second day of touring around Seattle, and uh, we had already uh, called ahead to talk to Adam and Grace about their, their brewery. We actually see a little of the beer down in Portland, so we were aware of the brewery, which is kind of rare for, for Oregonians. So why don't you give us a little bit of background about how you got into beer uh, and how this brewery came to be? Well, I think I can take some of the credit for that. <laughs> um, so shortly after our oldest child was born, um, his name is Ruben, he purchased Adam a home brewing kit for Adam's birthday. Was, uh -huh. He was only a few weeks old, so really it was me. Um, <laughs> So we kind of, it just started as a hobby really, um, just something fun. Adam had been enjoying beer for a long time and saying like, this beer would be great if I could just make it like this. Um, and so I said, well, let me get you a brewing kit and you can try it. And so... Uh, put up or shut up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, that's how it started as, as home brewers. Um, and there's a really great organization here called the Finney Neighborhood Association. It's a neighborhood, you know, association uh, close to our house. And they have a beer festival twice a year. So as homebrewers, we went there and poured our beer. And it was such a fun night. We just talked with people about our beer and everyone was excited to have us and wanted to try the new thing like that they couldn't get obviously anywhere else because we were homebrewing. <laughs> um, and we ended up winning the People's Choice Award there that night amongst like 800 people in attendance and several other like really great breweries there so it was quite an honor and what was the beer that you won the people's choice with it was the roasted rye ipa oh yeah. interesting yeah. so yeah. what I, what's a roasted rye ipa it's kind of like a cross between a winter warmer and an ipa okay um so a little bit darker in color it has a nice rye spice it kind of is in the finish or mouthfeel to me but um yeah, so that was the beer that started it for us cool. at this at this commercial beer festival. And we won the People's Choice Award there, and we were like, this is so much fun, let's do this every six months. And then they stopped allowing home brewers <laughs> after that one. <laughs> that was it. They should have grandfathered a winner in. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I guess, like, I mean, there's a lot of weird laws around alcohol. Yes, um, right. And so it's a little bit, like... Although people weren't paying us for the beer, they were paying for tickets, and so it just, it got into some gray right. area, and so they just, to be safe, they, they stopped doing it. So, it, you know, after that, bars were emailing Adam asking, like, how do we get your beer? And, um, yeah, I mean, we just were like, we're just doing this in our garage, just for fun, and then... <laughs> and are you self-taught, Adam? Yeah, yes. yeah, so I'm, I... Yeah, when I moved to the U.S. in 2004, I was expecting to come to a land of uh, uh, mediocre macro lagers, you know. <laughs> um, but I realized I was leaving the land of mediocre macro lagers. <laughs> and uh, it was, uh, yeah, my palate just sort of exploded and... and uh, Grace makes many references to me growing up on boiled vegetables and uh, <laughs> not very spicy food. And I think that's actually true now um, mm -hmm. because I, I, I've got a, I can, I can taste a lot of things, right? Mm -hmm. So, uh, I was, I was able to train my palate on different hot profiles or more profiles before I could even brew. And that's what, like what Grace was saying. Mm -hmm. And then, um, within, so my first, the first, the kit that Grace got was just on the stove top type thing within like 
it was less than a month. I think I'd upgraded to <laughs> you know the first upgrade, but then within th three months I'd upgraded to a 25 gallon system in the garage. Wow. Right? So I was doing multiple batches, trying lots of different things, which is almost a barrel. So you're basically a nano brewer there. It was yeah, it was kind of crazy. What, but what I would do is I would split a single batch into four and add steep grain additions and mm -hmm. run them through different hot backs, different yeast strains, because it was just to me it's a thirst of knowledge, right? Mm -hmm. I'm trying to lo try lots of different things. But then um, carried on brewing and entering a lot of competitions. Went to UC Davis, did their intense brewing oh, did you course at UC Davis just to try and see if I had blind blind spots. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so it's it's a journey. Yeah, yeah. And how did you make the plunge into going pro? Yeah, yeah. Um, so when when we when we got the People's Choice at that that beer festival. We were getting lots of um, people emailing asking us for our beer uh, off of our faux brewery Facebook page, which had been <laughs> <laughs> hundreds of followers, and it's like, well, this is all really surreal. Um, and uh, uh, at that point, I hadn't been brewing for long enough to be comfortable, um, so that's when I carried on the, the learning journey. And then we managed to find, um, uh, well, let me step back. Being a, an accountant at the time, very risk averse, right? I didn't want to leave the job, right? So, uh, this this jumping in to try and do something totally different, my parents would have frowned upon, like fundamentally, and right. it's like didn't pass the sniff test originally. But um, um, we we managed. Uh, well, we it sort of came to a head when the company I was working for was going to get bought out by a bigger company. And I knew I'd probably be one of the first people to be laid off. And it's like, this is our chance. We can use the redundancy. <laughs> right. Then the feds didn't let that takeover happen. And, and we'd already signed a lease to another, uh, this space. And it's like, oh, that wasn't part of the plan, right? <laughs> that, so, so then we had signed a lease on a building, and I still had to work. And, uh, but um, we started small. And, and again, being risk averse, we wanted to make sure that if it didn't work, because uh, I had no... Uh, commercial, I had limited commercial brewing experience. Um, I brewed a couple of pro-ams, but that doesn't really count, right? Um, and also, I'd never run a business before. Right. So, we um, thought, well, if it, let's, let's start at a size that if it all goes horribly wrong, uh, we keep the house, and <laughs> Ruben can run around in that space for the three years of the lease, and that's all right. done. <laughs> <laughs> but within six months, we were at capacity, and, and we needed to find something else. Oh, go ahead. So to be at capacity at six months, you must have had great success. Uh, we just had very limited capacity. <laughs> <laughs> but was it was it mostly taproom driven, or was it did you have a bunch of accounts right away through reputation, or? So, so one thing that, so being my job was to my day job <laughs> was to to manage a ten year plan for. A big, big company. Right. So when we opened, the only plan I had was how do we open without going bust. Right. I didn't I had no forecast, no plan of what this was going to be. But the 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 only guiding thing was we had this tap room, and we're going to keep our heads down and try and make lots of different beers mm -hmm. and make them as best as we can, using the same principles as that we had I had as a home brewer. Mm -hmm. And uh, I didn't think that we'd be distributing at all. Right. But but within those six months, we had fifty accounts. Mm -hmm. And those, those are people coming in, those are word of mouth. asking for our beer, and it's like, 
well, if you want some, we, we can get, we'll get you some. Like, it's like kind of rude to say no, right? right. Yeah. Um, and so, so this whole thing has, has sort of spawned from, I think, a focus of what we want to do in terms of do the right thing for the beer, and then the rest all sort of follows on, which has created its issues, right? We were at capacity within six months, and then it took two years to find another mm -hmm. space, and then within a few weeks we were at capacity there, right? So um, it's not an efficient long-term sort of thing, but what I realize is um, you never know, you never know what, um, you got no crystal ball, right? And and mm -hmm. I think if, we we wouldn't be as focused on the beer, I think, if we had got all these investors in right. that want a return and um, we had to then invest like and risk everything that we mm -hmm. possibly own, which we're now we do. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> yeah. but it takes you a while to get used to that, comfortable with that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but like at the start, we just you know we just want to we just want to make the beer right now. Then it's um, we weren't comfortable with overstretching. So, two questions. One uh, was the pseudo beer name before you became when you when you had your Facebook page. Was it was that also Ruben's Brews? Yes. So that's so it actually predates the brewery. Yeah. 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 So with that it was like pretty soon before that festival that we poured at and they said we need your name for this brochure that we're printing and we need it tomorrow or tonight or something. <laughs> it was like the next day, wasn't it? They were printing it the next day. Yeah, yeah. we're like, oh. Not just Grace and Adam. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, since it was our son Ruben who got him the kit, we said Ruben's Bruce. Gotcha. Although now we have another child at home. What were you, <clears throat> what's your background and how did you come in? It sounds like you may be involved in some of the, the conception of some of these beers and the way you're talking about it. Um, talk, talk a little bit about your background. Please. I mean, I've been sort of involved since obviously before the beginning. Um, but my background is I um, am an economist. I have been, well, I've been, I guess, first and foremost, a teacher. I've been teaching my whole adult life, first as a Peace Corps volunteer. Mm. And then after coming to the States, I taught high school mathematics and then eventually landed um, teaching economics at a community college, which I really, really loved. Mm -hmm. So I, I've kept my day job through nearly the first five years mm. of this, and only recently have I come on full-time here. Yeah, um, but, yeah, so that's, but I've been sort of involved in the background for a long time. Oh, totally. Yeah. So, I, so I have to ask, I'm obliged to ask, I think by the American Economic Association. Uh, <laughs> 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 yeah, you're, oh, no. you're an economist, and I know, Adam, that you have an economics degree, so do you think that has helped in growing a business? And you have to say yes, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I mean, absolutely. I think it, just in terms of um, decision-making, actually, one of our, um, one of the people that works at our our local distributor said that he really likes working with us because you know we have conversations and we understand things like opportunity costs mm -hmm. you know um, so it it has allowed us to make decisions that might be difficult for other non-economists non you know you know well not that I don't know if a rational being really exists <laughs> to be perfectly honest but um, it's a different way of thinking yeah, through things um, what I would say, though, is, and and I shun shun away from my prior life quite a lot in this, in that I never want to 
be thinking about the cost of making a beer mm. because mm. Right. I don't want a recipe to be dictated at all by production efficiencies or yeah. like synergies or anything like that. It has to be about that beer and that's like the fundamental core of who, where we got to where we are. Yeah. And um, so I actually, some a lot of my prior life, I deliberately like exclude thinking like that because right. I think it would constrain us in, in, a, in a bad way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But like Grace said, it does help us think in terms of, of um, opportunity costs. Um, mm -hmm. it, it hinders us maybe in terms of a risk profile. Mm -hmm. you know? um, we, but then that I think actually helps us in terms of it keeps us true. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, I don't want us to get, we, we can't get, what's the phrase again, on, on your, ahead of your ski tips or whatever. Over your, uh, over, over your skis, over your skis, yeah, right. yeah. Because otherwise, then you're going to make decisions that aren't the best for the beer potentially. Right. And that's that's the only that's our principal core value, I, I would say. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk a little bit about that beer. Uh, we are drinking a triumvirate uh, India Pale Ale right now, as we talk, and it is a very I would call it a very modern style IPA. It's uh, pretty juicy and uh, aromatic and, and lovely and you guys when we came to the brewery we how many IPAs did you count? You counted a number of IPAs and you're twenty four. Yeah, tell me something like four yeah. to six IPAs and a couple of double IPAs. Yeah. Mm -hmm. that. So mm -hmm. yeah. tell how how would if you were uh, traveling in uh, Topeka and someone said, Oh you own a brewery, what kind of beer do you make? What what would you tell them? I would say um I would we say have 24 beers on tap. <laughs> all <laughs> very different. This was very impressive. <laughs> all very different and all very delicious. Um, so it's an interesting question, right? So like everybody wants to categorize you mm -hmm. in a, in some way. Mm -hmm. So when we first opened, we open we were known for rye beers. We mm -hmm. had a lot of different rye beers on. So we were the, a rye beer brewery. Right? <laughs> then like our porter and imperial stout were were well known around here and then so then we were like a dark beer brewery right. so we went from a rye beer to a dark beer brewery <laughs> and then uh, like one of the newspapers called us about uh, like a year later um, a hot powerhouse you know so like they went over hot poppy beers right. right but I think I believe in diversity and everything and and beer the different beer styles I think if you look at the board we've got something Sour, something a lager, something light, something malty, something hoppy, um, something barrel aged on there right now. So I think I think our strength is in the diversity of our portfolio, which is <coughs> why did I say the word portfolio? That doesn't that's <laughs> yeah, a horrible word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that doesn't sound right. Um, but uh, I, I think what beers do we do? We do a variety of beers, and I think that makes us stronger. Um, but it doesn't fit into people's heads. It's, it's not an easy thing to categorize, right? right? You need to know us to know, oh, Rubens, they do all these different beers. They got the two breweries and they can do all these different things. Um, mm -hmm. And I haven't, I haven't figured out a way of being able to eloquently communicate that in that soundbite yet. Mm -hmm. right. So any, any help, <laughs> appreciate it. <on> that. <laughs> well, it sounds like it's evolving. I mean, I think this yeah. is one of the challenges for breweries that <clears throat> capture a zeitgeist in a particular moment. Once the zeitgeist moves, if they're especially strongly associated with that, they have a difficult time evolving forward. So yeah. that, that can be a real downside. Mm -hmm. Well, if you, was it 08? <coughs> it was when 
IPA first hit like the top ten IRI data of of start top five I think IRI yeah I, I think it that, didn't take over the the lead until 2011 which people yeah. were surprised about yeah it's a little earlier than that and then if you if you think about that, that that's totally crazy right the IPAs were not dominant seven until seven years ago yeah. six seven years ago yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I think I think that's another example of strength in variety right mm -hmm. like um, and honestly, people ask me what my favorite beer is, and you say, well, like, it's like asking on the board, right? It's like what, asking what your favorite child is, you know, it's mm -hmm. like, um, but honestly, my, f the beer I'd always go to is normally the newest one. Mm -hmm. And I think that to me means that uh, um, we want to be doing new things all the time. Yeah. And with, with our team, Grace is running a, a, a project in the team. Um, to come up with new ideas and then we're going to brew them in a couple of weeks um a little like internal mm -hmm. uh, like thing a recipe kind of design contest right. yeah oh, cool. people working here so yeah and how, how do you how you adjudicate the <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well um so it'll be out of myself and then the head brewer james okay. to decide on that so so we have represent representation um, kind of in that role representing the tap room and then also the brewing side and then also kind of the number side so we're thinking of all of those things but um it's our first time doing it so it's, i can't really say that we have like a firm process right. in place. <laughs> I, I just say the leading thing should be what excites people yeah, yeah. right yeah. let's let's make this exciting for our team and for for people who are going to drink it right mm -hmm. um and one thing Patrick and I have been interested in when coming up here from Portland, you know, we're sister cities and basically similar in so many ways yeah. uh, that um, we, if you're far enough away that we blend in, people can't distinguish us. But we've noticed um, two things that were interesting. One is that um, many breweries don't have very solid a flagship array. So they brew a lot of different beers and maybe only a couple or three. And it sounds like you guys are in that boat. You do a Pilsner, you do an IPA. Uh, you, you, you mentioned these. Those are the two that I remember. Those are right. and Goza, Goza and, and Porter. Porter. Yeah, yeah. So, so four, four beers on the, those 24 are, are, yeah. are year-round and they rotate. And the other thing we've noticed is every single brewery we've been to brews a Pilsner. So I'm wondering, what is... Uh, What's up with I want to I don't know what that means about the the Seattle and Pilsner and also Seattle and this diversity thing but do you, do you have theories about that? I th well there was some article recently about you know it's okay you don't have to pretend you hate Pilsners anymore something <laughs> like that because <laughs> um, I think you know we've been in such this huge IPA hophead kick like <clears throat> more IBUs the better um, but. It does seem like people are taking a step back, or at least mm -hmm. expanding their options beyond just an IPA. And I think a Pilsner is a really great, you know, it's crisp and clean, it still has a bitter kick, um, but it's not just over the top, suck your mouth dry, kind of bitter. Yeah. So I, I think people are kind of leaning into that style as something that um, can be crafted well. Um, and can be exciting to drink, but um, it's not an IPA. I, I have a, a, a pet theory, which is that the craft beer market on the demand side is maturing as I am. Mm. And 10 years ago, I could probably drink a few IPAs in, a, in, a, in an evening, and I just can't anymore. And so I'm starting to look for lighter and lighter beers. And I, I imagine that the craft beer market is maturing a bit like that mm. as well. And, but you're not seeing that in Portland. 
There are pilsners. I mean, we pilsners. A few years ago, a number of pilsners came on the market, uh, which kind of cut against our IPA reputation. And uh, a num I would say a number of really exceptional IPAs or pilsners. But it's it's not something you're going to find at every brewery. Mm -hmm. um, there are maybe a half dozen or eight excellent pilsners that are brewed in Portland, and we have sixty brewers. So. I would mm -hmm. I would also sort of put it. <clears throat> With a few exceptions, upright commons, things like that, I would still say in Portland. And if you wanna, if you wanna stake your tent pole in the market, you come with some big hoppy beers, and then then worry about the other stuff later. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, pilsners are not. In, well, a there's not anything to hide behind, mm -hmm. and I'm not saying that that's Quite, a motive hard, for hard, any Portland breweries. Don't get me wrong. They're hard to make. They're, they're hard to make, and that's they're expensive if you think of opportunity costs, right? Yes. If you think of what is the, in that tank and how long does it take <laughs> to make that? Ales Exactly. So even though ingredient cost is one thing, but like in terms of tank time, it's an expensive beer to make. All right. So I have to ask. You're from England. In England, it is standard to price beers by ABV. Mm. Why not in the U.S.? Well, in, in England... Um, I know the, the taxes. Yeah, the taxes yeah. Are, are very significant based on ABV, right? So, yeah. um, the, uh, for obvious ulterior motives, we do, sh <laughs> we do ship a little bit out to the U.K. It's like really small amounts. So oh, really? Cool. That's yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's kind of fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. We've done a couple of brewers nights over there. That is very cool. But like now, my accent over there, I sound American over right. here. I sound English, so I'm in no man's land. Yeah, so I can't wait. Atlantic, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the middle. I need a boat in the middle. Yeah, if you listen to very old recordings of people from uh, the East Coast, they mm -hmm. have your accent. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah they, they just landed like yeah, yeah. 12 years ago, wasn't it? Um, um, just, just going back to the Pilsner question, sorry. Um, yeah. Um, I think. I, I think uh, my my view on it, uh, for what it's worth, is when people come into the, our tap room, one of the things that we want is for them to have an option. Mm -hmm. So we want to have a light beer, a dark beer, hoppy beer, and multi options. Mm -hmm. And so when you're looking at the light option, like what what option do you want to give that customer? Right. And Pilsner, as as Grace said, sort of shows our ability to brew. You know, it's 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 the most it's it's the most naked of any style, if that's mm -hmm. the right the right yeah, phrase. Yeah, so that that's kind of one of, one of the reasons we, we we wanted it, and then the other reason I've actually totally forgotten, and it was quite important at the time. Obviously, <laughs> <laughs> not that important. Um, well, okay, so I'm gonna while you think of that, because uh, <laughs> this will spark your memory, because this is how I pushed you before us. Uh, I understand the motivation for English brewers to to, to price. Um, I guess the better question is why do so few American breweries price on? Like they're more expensive. Like a pilsner should be more expensive because it's more expensive. Why do Why don't they factor cost into their pricing? Particularly when you're you're an economist. It. You well, should know he that knows it's the not. <laughs> <laughs> <He knows it. laughs> it's where marginal revenue equals marginal cost. <laughs> exactly. Okay, he knows what you're talking about. But I, have to that. I have no idea what you just said. No, I. You know. Uh, so that's the thing. You asked if it's a help or a hindrance to be an economist and. It was interesting, in my last years of teaching, I tried to bring a lot of lessons from the brewery into the classroom, mm -hmm. but it's, there's a difference, yeah. really, between the theory and the, the practical. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it's, we can't go 
and be completely out in a different ball field. Yeah, no, I don't mean to call you out in particular. I'm just always, as an economist, of course, it, yeah. it, it, it's curious because some people will, will say, oh, this is a great value because I can get a big 7.9% IPA and it's only mm. six bucks a, a pint. And then mm-hmm. the Goza's six bucks a pint and that's 3.2%. Yeah, we, <laughs> we were at Stoop yesterday <laughs> yeah, and they made a, uh, a, an English brown ale uh, that was 3.7%. And first of all, brown ales nobody wants, so that's death. So there's... You're already, the incentive is never to brew a brown ale. <laughs> and then the last thing you want to do is make it 3.7% because people are going to look at the price and say, why would I do that? You know, why, mm-hmm. would, I, uh, why would I buy that beer? And, um, <clears throat> you know, c- considering like this triumvirate, I don't, I don't actually know how many hops you put in here, but you put a lot of hops in here. Mm-hmm. So that, yeah. that is going to be substantially more expensive than a Kolsch or an English brown ale. And it does, I, as an ignorant, non-economics <laughs> trainer, I'm the only one in the room who does not have economics training. I was a religious studies well, person. Yeah, uh, a little. <laughs> well, I have You're welcome. Uh, reflected, uh, uh, prof- Professor Emerson has taught me a few things. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but I do often wonder, like, even if it were 50 cents cheaper, a buck cheaper, a pint, at the tap room where you actually, so I know that, you know, once you put it in the, the distribution chain, it, things change and mm-hmm. you don't really have a lot of control over that. But at your own brewery, it does, I, I often wonder, you know, wouldn't that help those little beers that I love so much and champion <laughs> to get into a, a, the market? Um, maybe we go back to the opportunity cost piece, right? The biggest, maybe the big, I mean, I haven't, I haven't done this, but I, I could, but, um, but I won't. Because <laughs> I, 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 I don't want to cost out anything, right? But right. If, if you look at... You're, right. you're, you're asking the wrong person. You, yeah. already, you made that clear. I already said I'm going to start. But just thinking about it, like maybe the biggest cost of the beer isn't necessarily the ingredients, it's the tank time. Right. right? Mm. And then the, so then the cost of brewing almost any, every beer is virtually the same. Um, and <clears throat> like with when we're pricing our kegs into distribution, I don't think about how much it costs to make it because there's a price that we kind yeah. of fit in the market and mm-hmm. that's like what it is. It's yeah. not like cost yeah. plus. Thank you, that's the brilliant yeah. answer, I think. Uh, so, uh, forgive me for, I don't know, mansplaining, economist blaming. But to put it another way. That's our shtick. If you're gonna, uh, if Jeff if you're, doesn't know economy. If you're going to brew a Kolsch, maybe the ingredients are slightly cheaper than the big IPA, but while you're brewing the Kolsch, you can't brew another batch of the IPA. You yeah. won't be able to sell that. So that's sort of the opportunity yeah. cost, right? Yeah. And it might be one and a half times an IPA batch, right? You, right. you might be able to fit another mm-hmm. half a batch in in that time because the Kolsch will take three weeks rather than... To condition. You know, yeah, yeah mm-hmm. for a minute. Yeah, right. Going back to the pills now. Brilliant. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I knew I... Was <laughs> <laughs> it's not, you know, yeah. um, no, I think, I think it's a, a uh, an intersection, right? So people who, like us who have been like heavy IBU drinkers, but I'm assuming Mm -hmm. uh, for a decent period of time, it's a good come down from that. Like the lighter beer, but it's still got a bit of a bite. It's still got like 30, 40 IBUs. And, but relative to our palates, it's, it's not, it's not nothing, right? But it's not big, but it's a good entry point as well for people coming into craft, maybe from the lighter lagers. So I think it's a good entry and a good, so it's good to like up into craft and a good down into in, out of out of like the bigger IPA. So I think it's a good in a good spot. I think if you go for a Kolsch, it's a little lower IBU. So like maybe that doesn't do it for somebody who's yeah. who's had a bitter bomb history. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but in my Kolsch is interesting because I thought Kolsch would be a lot more popular than it is. Mm. That is one beer that is popular in Portland, which is also bizarre. Oh, hmm. 
Yeah, that's a, it, it's a conversation stopper, exactly. Yeah. I don't yeah. understand it, it doesn't make any sense, but there so, you are. When you go to Cologne and try all of the different uh, Kolsch breweries, it's really kind of fun, to, yeah. just trying the nuances in one style. And, Mm. There is. This is an interesting thing, and that's why I'm interested in Seattle. Is there is no way to describe uh, preference. So why do they drink uh, Kolsch's in Cologne, and a half an hour away they drink all beer, and they don't drink either? You know, they don't mm -hmm. drink the other yeah. doesn't drink the other. So that is a weird thing. So yeah. people in Portland are probably going to behave differently than people in Seattle, even though we're so close culturally in, in mm -hmm. every other way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So one thing you have right behind you is the three-way <laughs> IPA thing, and as as Portlanders, uh, Oregonians, uh, we were familiar with the, this year's three-way IPA, which you were uh, one of the three. Yep. Um, for people who don't know this beer, it's a Fort George's Brewery in Astoria that has been doing this maybe like five or six years, something like that. They invite two other breweries to uh, join them, and they release this beer. And I think it's I think it's Fort George's biggest seller every year. I think it's their most popular and and the beer they, you know, everybody looks toward and expect to be this mind beater, uh, world beater. You guys got invited to do it this mm -hmm. year. Uh, how did, uh, how did that process work and were you happy with the beer? You had that on their wall, so maybe you were. Maybe you weren't so embarrassed you didn't want to hang out. He <laughs> <laughs> took the wrinkles off my face, right, the artist. Um, <laughs> it, it was so much fun. And gave him a tan. And gave me a tan. <laughs> Yeah, I am pretty pale. I am pretty pale. Um, so much fun. Uh, Fort George guys are just amazing, and really, it was so much fun going down there to yeah. to go through the, the different like the iterations of the different beers and and Great Notion. Um, it's it's been great getting to know those guys, and we've we're seeing then we went down. Was that October? I can't remember. I think it was October, yes, yeah. and, and James and Andy gave us a tour of their new brewery and. Uh -huh. It just, it's just awesome sitting, sitting, sitting with them and just talking. It's, so you all got some... together in one in Astoria? Yeah, so that's how it starts. Like you sit down there. It was around November la last year and then around the table and we just like bounce ideas off, bring, bring examples of the beers that we're brewing or we're going to talk about and, and just highlighting nuances or ideas. Um, and then that turns into like, by the end of that, it, it turns into a, like the first beta batch mm -hmm. which I always used to pronounce beta batch but <laughs> yeah, that's right very good but nobody understands me when I say that so I, I now say <coughs> so yeah um, it was just an amazing experience all around and we're very fortunate to be part of it I think um, the the uh, iteration process was brilliant because um, uh, for what Fort George did was they leaned heavily into different iterations, mm. right? So none of the beta batches uh, was, was really close to what it ended up being. Right. They were like pulling the envelope apart. And we'd, we'd all give us pretty detailed feedback, uh -huh. like between us and Great Notion and for George. And um, what, what the amazing thing was, was that um, at the end of it, all the feedback was taken together and, and then produced the final beer that I think worked out really well. Mm. Yeah. Were you able to taste the different uh, beta batches as they came along? <laughs> yeah, so um we've got probably about four we got we got about four six barrels. Oh, four okay. or five. Mm -hmm. I think there's maybe seven or eight uh different beta batches. And they would bring one up and we'll tap it in the tap room. 
and then uh, we'll get feedback from uh -huh. people and we'll try it and then I'll email my feedback on it and then we'll get feedback to see if it's consistent from from customers would only there's only a six barrel so it was just tasters you could get of it but like we wanted to get as many people to give their feedback as well and build that into the feedback loop so yeah, yeah it's a, that's cool <clears throat> it is cool uh, I, you know people often do collaborations breweries do collaborations together and uh, it seems like they're more or less successful depending on how much contribution each party has and how, how they're you know getting getting to bring your tap room customers into a process is entertaining yeah so there's, yeah there's yeah it's interesting how those things can you know be, be more collaborative or less collaborative depending on how they're executed so mm -hmm. yeah did that help you uh, uh i know we get to see a little bit of your beer in oregon yeah uh did that in any way bring your name recognition to oregonians uh was that helpful at all was that ever a consideration We um we have been speaking with distributors in in um, the Portland area for a while, right? Long time, yeah. Long time. <laughs> <But> it, uh, <laughs> so so as a Washington brewery, you're not allowed to self-distribute in Oregon, mm -hmm. but a Wash an Oregon brewery can self-distribute in Seattle. Oh, right? really? Mm -hmm. So <laughs> even doing a one-off event in in Portland was hard, mm -hmm. um, but. Um, so we've been speaking with distributors for a while. Like we've done the odd one-off event and, and worked with individual distributors to do that. Mm -hmm. And um, we're very fortunate to find um, Miletus and, and we, we've, we really like working with them. And, um, but we don't have any beer, right? We don't have much beer. Right. So we've, we're starting slow. And I think that's the right way of doing it. We have to earn the right to be relevant. Um, yeah. mm -hmm. Portland has so much great beer and um, really great breweries. Um, and I, I think uh, Washington has a lot of breweries, but um, maybe not as many really great ones as as, as Portland and Oregon do, mm. which has created a perception. Right? Mm. And I think we have to earn the right to be be relevant there. So we want to start slowly bring bring our beer, so show what we can do, mm -hmm. and um, take it take it from there. Um, all right, and so we will take it from there. Ooh. Yes. Nice. And Transition. we will be the judge of whether you've proven yourself. Ruben's Brews. We will indeed. We are in Portland, Oregon, and we're going to try your beer. Uh, so I went to the uh, the local beer store just down the street from your house, Jeff. Thank you for locating yourself so conveniently to Belmont Station, where they had it. a number of Ruben's Brews, actually quite a few, including some like big imperial IPAs and barrel-aged Actually, I don't know. Do they do barrel aging? Anyway, there are a lot of beers, but I pick three of their standard of their of their standard lineup. So one is the Crikey IPA that you have. Indeed, uh, Adam, as you might have um, uh, discerned from his accent, and he and uh, also his statement, he's from West London, uh, born and raised. Uh, <clears throat> so we have the Crikey IPA, and we also have the Goza, which as uh, uh, as it turns out, was the uh, first award-winning beer that he brewed as first a home brewer and then later. And this has just been kind of the beer, sort of, that Rubens was built on, which is pretty odd because yeah, <laughs> it's weird. a Goza. Uh, so we have the Goza and we have his Pilsner. We had, uh, I think, all these brewery beers at the brewery, but let's taste them again. And for the uh, 
purposes of this year podcast. Yeah, they're all in the can, and we were actually uh, commenting on how nice and clean their labels are. Yeah. Uh, they have a big script R, which is a lowercase script R. And if you know anything about Seattle beer, you might know that that's kind of a play on the big uh, uppercase script R of Rainier beer. Uh, which they have done a Pilsner with, R&R Pils. R&R and so Pils. So it's a little, bit, little R, big R, which Yeah, is pretty cool. So, uh, so let's go. So let's do it. So you have the IPA, but I think the Goza is the right place to start. I'm well, gonna, I'm, I'm going to say. I'm pouring this out at the same right. time you're pouring that out. But I'm going to touch. They're all in cans, which I approve of. We've discussed cans, and we're all about the cans. The cans are, from an audio perspective, Less perhaps good. superior. Oh. Oh, they're interesting. More, they're, they're no, I like the that comes from the bottle cap. I I have to admit, from from a pure auditory auditory perspective, the cans are suboptimal. I don't know that. Yeah, that's not so good. I, that was I, well, of our generation, well, that also connotes connotates many. Connotes was correct. <laughs> uh, many uh, many a summer. With dad cracking the Schlitz or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> the Rainier. The Big R. The Rainier. Yeah. Well, not uh, like that. Uh, good looking beer. Looks quite a bit like the. Uh, crikey, that's a good looking beer. <laughs> crikey. You know, I will just confess. You right don't know Crikey? Now, I thought Crikey was Australian. Uh, well, yes, but not originally. originally. Not originally. I thought it was originally cri- Australian. Yeah. Whoop. Whoops, and we had to cut out a little moment there <laughs> anyway you have the crikey ipa so give us your thoughts uh my thoughts are so they do a lot of ipas yes and the ipa that we were drinking in the podcast was my big favorite of the ones that they do i agree uh and the name of which now eludes me but when you listen further you'll hear that name of that um this this one is a little bit uh it's got a fair amount of crystal malts which i have to confess my palate has shifted i've kind of moved away from crystal malts Old school, in other words. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say it's really old school, but um, it's a little bit sweeter. The I would say it's old school. Okay. I mean, I, on the nose, it's old school. I'm sorry. I'm, you can see this, of course. I'm sniffing. <laughs> and it's very piney. It's yeah. Sort of multi, it's a multi-piney kind of, you know. Well, yeah, I guess it is a little bit more of an old school one. It's, <clears throat> that seems like the damn with... Uh, faint praise or something so no I, I i don't mean that at all i mean there's been fantastic ipas and they've evolved and lots of people uh still like it's it's kind of got a really pretty strong bitter it's snap. a cla- it is a classic northwest ipa it's I a mean, real piney kind of classic north yeah it's a classic northwest ipa i think it's it's an excellent version of that it's just that yeah a lot of palates now are moving towards the more juicy sweeter aromatic uh, yeah aromatic and and uh <clears throat> more light uh fewer crystals yeah malts yeah okay so you're go you've got the goza i have the goza this is um on the can gold medal winner uh german style sour ale uh in 2016 gbf nice gold it said gold nice yeah no he's actually won a lot of awards with this goza yeah that was an interesting thing and it, does that i don't know that that comes up in our interview mm-hmm. Does it? That was our conversation. No, I'm agreeing. That was our conversation pre yeah, recording. Yeah. We talked. He talked all about uh, his early days brewing. So uh, he talks about this a little bit in the in the, in the interview as well. But he basically started as a as a 
was a home brewer and, and was very serious about it and decided that to make himself better, he should enter competitions. And that's kind of how he got known. And he's still interested in competitions for that reason. And it's it's the competition thing is interesting. Uh, some brewers ref- absolutely refuse to enter competitions mm-hmm. and others enter a lot. And it's always kind of curious to yeah. me which direction they go. He liked entering them. He liked sort of being checked not by his friends but by other outside observers. He liked getting notes. He liked figuring it out. And he was serious enough to end up going to the, the brewing program at UC Davis right. um, where my brother went as well. Uh, and so he really knows what he's doing. Mm. Uh, and you're the Goza expert, but I like the beer. That's what I can say. I don't think there is such a thing as a Goza expert. <laughs> or maybe there is a... If a Goza you, enthusiast? Leipzigers who are really old who remember how to make this beer and mm-hmm. what it was. But um, uh, it's a it's a, it's a a classic Goza. So actually, if you find, find unflavored Gozas anymore, it's kind of a rarity. There's uh-huh. not weird uh, you know, cucumbers and basil in it that's right it's pretty straightforward it's 4.3 percent it's very clean drinking it's very sessionable but um, it's a little sour it is sour which is appropriate yep. and it's a uh, citrusy i wouldn't mind a touch more salt mm. uh, which i'm not mm-hmm. receiving in enormous quantities but um who am i to say this thing is a gabf winner yeah I mean, what's what's nice about the Goza is that the sourness gives it almost a citrusy, like a lemon citrusy mm-hmm. quality. Yeah, that's that classic uh, lacto yeah. character. And so, and so you have a sort of a light body beer with a little bit of lemon tang. And if you're not really into sweet, uh, especially if you want to sit around and have a bunch of these, then it really uh, it really sets you up, like on a hot day, especially. Yeah. Good. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna open the pilsner now. So here's the the suboptimal like audio experience. Man, that's so awful. <laughs> no way. That's terrible. Just, that's awful. I think I had a more. I'll defend. Pop- I'll defend everything about cans except that. I think. I think you and I relate differently to those those old cues because I hear that and I think, yeah, that's nice. <laughs> but that's true. That's not what I think. <laughs> <laughs> you were really offended uh, many podcasts ago. Uh, about my failure to decant all beers, and I think maybe this is—I think I'm just maybe a little bit more blue collar than you are. Like I'm like some of my beers out of the bottle or out of the can, and I like that. Well, it could be that I'm just more downscale than you, man. <laughs> maybe, but my but my experience with this with that sound uh, is pretty dang uh, pedestrian. Maybe. Just as an audio. Well, yeah, I mean, it reminds me of my dad cracking his his beer. Exactly, it as, remi- we're, <laughs> as we're driving down the road. <laughs> Precisely, <laughs> that is exactly my dad. I probably shouldn't say this. Uh, had a cooler behind the the back seat, and but we I grew up in Idaho, so there was like forty people on the road. So who cares? Yeah, yeah, there's nothing wrong there. I didn't grow up in Idaho. I'll say that. Okay, so this is the Pilsner. It has a. It says a Czech style pilsner, so this will be interesting. I, don't, I honestly don't recall exactly. Mm. This was one of the I few places. Um, well, we we arrived when uh, Adam and Grace were having their Christmas party, and you'll <laughs> see the photo at the podcast. Uh, they're wearing their Christmas uh, sweaters, That's which right. is cool. Um, but and right they, before they came over to talk to us, they all did the Christmas cracker, which I thought was a nice little introduction of English culture, English Christmas culture, to his. To his employees. Yeah. Uh, you'll have to describe that in a minute. But before you do, let me say that while they were doing that, they came over. We got out there a little early. And they poured us a, a flight of beers. Mm-hmm. And so we did drink 
probably 10 of their beers. And um, I know that we had the Pilsner. I also don't remember it. So here we go. You can explain what a cracker is. <laughs> yeah, Christmas cracker is a little tube that has uh, uh, two ends. Each one has a little sort of uh, little, um, uh, I don't know what you call it, a gun gunpowder cracker, just a little snap, a snapper that when you pull it, it kind of cracks due to uh, due the uh, little explosive powder. Um, and it bursts the little tube, and inside the tube is a little prize. And so the way the way you do it traditionally in, in, in England is you sit around the Christmas table and you uh, each have one, and then you grab each other's ends, and so you create this chain. Everyone's grabbing each other's ends, and then you pull them all at once, and they all crack, and then you get your little prize. And inside usually is a little paper crown. Inevitably, that's that's a necessity. You need to have that, and then you have a little prize. You know so how we I feel did, about the crown. <laughs> oh no, let's not start that. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> uh, and uh, and so you get a little price. Anyway, they did that right before. I thought it was really cute. We did that at our Christmas table, by the way. Mm. We all had our crowns. Very nice. <clears throat> well, your mother is English, so it's all right. Yeah, me and my English brother-in-law played the little game that came in the uh, in the little Christmas cracker, and we were both surprised at actually how 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 complicated the strategy was. Um, we we're, sat there we're getting pretty it. far afield here yeah. in the uh, cracker <laughs> analysis. Yeah. Well, you asked. It's true. So how about the Pilsner? Uh, I like the Pilsner. The Pilsner is, again, I think I'm picking up something in, in uh, a, Seattle, a Seattle character here, mm-hmm. which is there's a little sweet note there, which is, I think, not characteristic, but which I recall being kind of characteristic in uh, Seattle Pilsners. This one is quite sweet, I think. It's got a quite a sweet, and it's a little banana, too, if... I imagine that's an ester that I'm cap- capturing. I would not call it a Czech style. I would call it more of a German style. I think there's probably a Saws hops, which is American for Czech. Yeah. Banana note. I'm not getting that. That would not be carrot. People would not necessarily say banana is mm. appropriate in a. Uh, no, I, I yeah, I, maybe I've damned it, but I, I didn't mean on the nose, but just a little. That sweetness is kind of a. Uh, the character of the sweetness itself to me is a little, a little banana. Yeah, I, I don't. As I opposed see. to like candy sugar, that's all I meant. I got you. Isoamyl acetate is a particular ester that tastes exactly like banana, and you find it in Weizen beers. And yeah, no, no, no I didn't it would mean, not be good in a lager. Did, yeah, I didn't mean that. Sorry. <laughs> Let me be clear. <laughs> I'm not getting it. Uh, the, we were drinking a lager last night my wife sally and i mm-hmm. and she discovered isoamyl acetate it's dark lager uh i will not say the brewery and she was dead on and that should not be in a lager so you mentioning this today really ah, maybe there's more isoamyl acetate out there than i thought but yeah i don't but think so it's a it's a nice pilsner it's a little slightly sweet to my taste um and i think that's a seattle thing yeah it, we did encounter that yeah all right seattleites defend yourselves yeah. What's this, what's the, what's what's this with your sweet pilsner? <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. So uh, three uh, nice beers, Rubens. Um, we liked the one we had there, probably the best of all. Yeah. And, of course, um, as we just came away from the break, uh, we had been talking about the three-way, which was really a, a, created quite, quite a stir in, in Oregon. So. Uh, I think Rubens gets a lot of credit for that too. It seems yeah, I bought a lot of three. <laughs> I drank a lot of three way when that came out. If you, if you live in, that was very good. And they actually have a couple of really nice, very modern citrusy. They do. I IPAs think IPAs on it, tap there. It was surprising to both of us that Crikey was their kind of flagship IPA when yeah. they had all the other ones. Yeah, I'm a little were, surprised it's still the one. Yeah, 
I, that says something about Seattle, and I'm not entirely sure what. But All right. Well, let's uh, get to the second half of our interview, and then uh, we'll check into the end. All right. That's an interesting thing. I mean, Seattle is a city of much bigger than Portland, and uh, we were talking to Matt Litzicum yesterday at Fremont, and he said in 2009 when they opened, they were the sixth production brewery in Seattle, which really boggled my mind. Wow. Uh, you know, Seattle, it took a long time for Seattle to really have the range of breweries that Patrick and I have been experiencing the last mm-hmm. few days. Talk a little bit about Seattle's transformation in the last decade and what you've been a part of uh, in the beer scene. You just said that, that comment about how you think that Seattle's got a little, Seattle and Washington have a little work to do, but it, but it definitely seems like there's a ton of vibrancy happening right now. Yeah, we're, we're, we're playing catch up, but I think from a more higher level of consciousness, right? Um, I I um I think maybe we were you know top left corner very isolated and the uh the early craft revolution in the US was taking British styles and maybe putting cascade hops on right you know yeah. so you get this malty sticky uh, uh IPAs that aren't very bitter and and Grace can <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be honest here, right? Grace, so, Grace is making faces. <laughs> she doesn't like that style. I, I, I keep on saying I want to brew one of those. No, I don't. Um, and uh, I, I think because we're in the, the top left corner, we weren't that aware of uh, maybe sub-revolutions going on in the US. So like you go down to San Diego, uh, almost no IPA has caramel malt in. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, but that 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 whole philosophy didn't make it to Washington State until probably probably two years ago. You know, it's like, <laughs> what on earth happened there? Right? <laughs> like, I, 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 and um, so I I I think I don't know why, but but we have 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 not really moved, almost moved with the times, right? and I don't understand why that's happened. But like now with like we've been invited down to the Festival of Dankness with Modern Times, who's coming into Portland, so we're excited about that. That's going to be cool. Um, And then that was great to see what IPAs are being brought in, uh, being being brewed around there. We um, we've done a collaboration with Alvarado Street out of California, and so um, they are on the leading edge of some of these lighter IPAs and like the hazier IPAs and Mm -hmm. stuff. With um, I think, um, and I know like. Cloud Cloudburst came with us to um, were invited as well to the Festival of Dankness, right? Mm-hmm. So, I think now we're getting more brewers and breweries that are more open to that travel. We're actually going to Hanapu Day down in Cigar City. We've been invited to that, so okay. we, we can go in in March to Florida and work on my tan. I've been told. I've been told. I have to. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think I think realizing. Not, nationally and also internationally right so like when we go to the uk we've done a collaboration with siren you know one of the, one of the top breweries in the uk and we're going to go and um they've come here and we're going to go there um in february right so i don't know siren are they london siren are just uh, west of london like really close to where i grew up okay um and they were like rate beers top brewery in the uk in 2015 okay um and they, they um, they brew a lot of different beers, a lot of coffee beers, a lot of hazier beers. Mm-hmm. Um, their head brewer 
used to be a double mountain. Ah. So it's kind of, who grew up in Kirkland. Right? Mm. Isn't it crazy how Is small this is? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah wow. Carl. Yeah. <laughs> I remember yeah. when he left, I was so disappointed. But yeah, that's where he was. He's done so, a good job. Yeah, he's done a great job. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a small world. Yeah, you know? it's real, right. <laughs> yeah. But I think understanding that the size of the, you know, understanding the size of the world and the different trends going on, mm. I think we've been, for whatever reason, kind of ostracized. Um, not deliberately, but like just through choice, you know. Mm. And um, whereas other other people, other markets, other areas haven't. And I think don't know why that would that line would have been drawn at the state, almost the state line, right? right. You know, yeah. doesn't make sense. But I think that's then rightly created a perception difference, mm. and we're we're going to do our little bit to try and change that. Mm. And there are a lot of other breweries that are doing that as well now. So mm -hmm. that's yeah. we're not alone in that. But um, we'll. we'll We'll be we're playing catch up, and we're getting we're getting there, I think. But you've got to hand it down to Oregon Beer. I mean, look at their um, look at um, like GABF and and other like competitions like that. I mean, it's pretty impressive, and we've got a long way to go to get anywhere near that. Well, we're we, we're not we're not fishing for compliments for Oregon. But no, I, I mean <laughs> I mean that's that's one you can't deny, right? I don't think. Mm -hmm. I mean, Oregon has long been a really competitive market so brewers want to one-up each other and they talk to each other so it, is, it, is, it has been vibrant but um do you have a good collaboration between the breweries there it seems like you do they're all on the same team and <clears throat> very much so uh though i have to say that since we've been in seattle seattle has felt weirdly in the beer community like a slightly smaller and more tight-knit community mm. we keep seeing all these connections between the different breweries and we like when we were at Cloudburst, we were tweeting about the beer, and they were out of their Pilsner. So they invited us down the next day because they were racking off new kegs, so they were going to you know, come down, and um, they talked about the connections they had. And uh, everywhere we go, we seem to find connections to the other breweries here in, in Seattle. Um, so it feels very uh, communal and tight-knit here in a, in a really healthy, positive way. And you find that in Portland as well, but um, but not quite as tight. I, I, at least in our weird sample, we haven't. You know, I don't know how yeah, many and there's yet. so many new breweries that have opened up. I think the population is just growing so exponentially. So you've got people who've been around for a while, and they know each other, get along very well, and the new people. So I think it's there. I think the the spirit is the the community spirit is there. It's just just it's so huge <laughs> yeah and yeah. it's a good thing i mean you have a big population that's something that oregon doesn't have we run we bump up against that so yeah so uh one lot <laughs> turning it back to uh, business and economics uh that's what you're here for man when <laughs> uh since we're talking about oregon and, and, and washington particularly portland and seattle one of the things that really strikes me is that all the places we've visited with some exceptions um in in uh, seattle are breweries with tasting rooms, uh, whereas in Portland it's almost exclusively a brew pub model, where there's a full kitchen mm -hmm. and a whole restaurant. And I'm just curious, do you know, I mean, I understand the economics is a lot cheaper just to start with the brewery, and um, uh, do you know why? you have any theories on <clears throat> Well, for us, we, w we, wanted to f we wanted to concentrate on the beer, mm -hmm. um, and, and even now, the thought of a kitchen is like it's in shutters through the spine. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, I mean, running right. a restaurant probably has to be the hardest thing in the world, right? Yeah. 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 Um, uh, I wonder the licensing differences. 
So I don't know if in Oregon if you have Some licensing issues where there's just a tap room. We were so, we were discussing the law. It's a little, slightly different. Yeah, there's the the issue of uh, children comes into play whether you have food or not. But um, mm. I, oh. and Patrick and I are not as as familiar with the laws as as brewery owners would be. So, but but um, but it, you can get around that fair, that fairly low bar. You don't have to have a full kitchen to have uh, the OLCC allow children in. You just have to offer a few yeah options. But it might that might be the yeah. the okay. primary difference, right? Because um, for us, we in in Washington State, you as a if you have a brewery, you can have a tap room that allows under twenty ones, and you don't need food. Right. Uh, if you add liquor, then you do need food, and it has to be over twenty ones, and then that's when it all gets yeah gets yeah. a little tricky. Um, so my my hunch is that it's a legislative largely largely a thing. I wonder if uh, there's also just an expectation after a while, since that was the early model in in, uh, in Portland. Now that's mm. what sort of people the, the customers expect. Uh, yeah, yeah. Because if you if there's only what is it eighty breweries in Portland? Something uh, sixty in. It so turns out it's really hard to count breweries. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, like how many breweries do you own? One or two. Or yeah. If we count yeah. you as one or two breweries. Yeah. Yeah. So that's yeah. So it becomes a challenge, but yeah, somewhere between sixty and eighty. And yeah. also the city limits, and so mm-hmm. it's challenging. Because it's interesting, if every single one needs a, f- a kitchen, mm-hmm. that would have, we probably wouldn't have opened if we needed mm. a kitchen. Right. So how how do you have more breweries than here in Portland? Yeah, at expense. One yeah. of the things in yeah. Portland is that it really creates a geographical dispersion. Yeah. Like you, we're here in Ballard, and probably within, what, a five-minute walk, I could go to yeah. four Different yeah. breweries, yeah. Mm-hmm. So now in Portland, you sort of stake out your neighborhood, like untapped neighborhoods, and create a brew pub and a place to go because mm-hmm. you kind of need that that foot traffic and need enough customers to come through and justify the, the expense for kitchen. Like. And one other really big thing is Portland's a lot cheaper than Seattle. Mm-hmm. So you talked well, about yeah, this a little true. bit, uh, which and we haven't really talked about, but probably should talk a little bit more about it. I mean, I don't know what the cost per square foot is for 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 real estate here, but breweries are large industrial operations mm-hmm. and even little ones take displace a lot of space mm-hmm. and you should describe just a little bit of your convoluted system you have okay. this brewery here <clears throat> you have the brew house and some fermentation and then and then you have other fermentation elsewhere describe by, by convoluted he means brilliantly innovative yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just, just yeah so we actually have four spaces you know whether it be we have two breweries. We have our original one and our our current one in the in the main tap room. And then the original one isn't a tap room anymore, but it mm-hmm. was. And we did that's a five barrel system. We did twelve hundred barrels out of that system last year. Like just by um, loss of diversity of beers. I, I don't even know how many beers we did last year. I, I should get that number. Mm-hmm. And then we have a warehouse that is just souring out. So we souring out some some uh, different test beers with different brett strains different mm-hmm. uh, bacteria strains mm-hmm. that we haven't um we haven't uh, released anything from yet yeah but we're fruit we, we've got our first fruited brett beer actually uh going into stainless uh off of oak in the next um couple of months and then and then i hope i hope that we'll be able to release that at like around march time so that to, to me is the last part of the the diversity piece, right? If we can start doing um, uh, uh, mixed fermentation, oak fermented beers, then that's the last 
the last piece to, to broaden our whole portfolio to cover everything. But we're going to do it right. So we've been working on these for over a year, mm -hmm. right? And I think we're starting to align that. Um, when we when we go down to Portland, I always um, kind of is envious the right word, but yeah. like there are so many great spaces for breweries. <laughs> it's like, oh, I wish we should just move here. It's like, like, there's so many neighborhoods with like great like industrial yes. single story buildings. Uh, here, there's very few. So the the biggest issue in Seattle is lack of opportunity of of space. Yeah, uh, and then you get into the higher co high cost, right? Yeah, right. But like. That's how we've ended up with this mishmash of, of, of pieces. It wasn't on purpose. Right. Our, our main tap room and brewery was, took us two years to find after f we had, it was our fourth space that we had either an agreement on or literally a signed letter of intent mm -hmm. that it was the, the, f and the first one that didn't fall through in all that time. Mm -hmm. right. um, and uh, just, just the real, real set here, there's just, not much, and, and what is industrial sort of zoned right. is being sort of reduced right. in by um, retail or, or housing. housing. Encroachment in yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah. It's beginning in Portland, but it's much, much later than, than what Seattle experienced. Yeah. Portland was really an industrial working city. I think this is one thing people don't realize. Uh, you know, people often wonder why there aren't more breweries in New York City. Well, you know the the cost of putting a brewery in a space that you know is going to have to generate this enormous revenue mm -hmm. for a product that you can't charge very much for even yeah. at the high end. Yeah, it just doesn't make it doesn't make sense. Yeah. I don't. I'm not a trained economist, and I can see how that's a problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's interesting, uh, given Seattle's real estate market, which is you know much more expensive than Portland's. There are quite a few breweries here, so it's actually impressive that um, you know people have managed to shoehorn the breweries into this neighborhood and others that they have. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you've heard from your you know, colleagues and other breweries that they, these challenges are probably not unique to you. Totally. Mm -hmm. well, um, uh, I don't know if this is, a, if this is a relevant at all, but it seems like where there are lots of car shops, used to be, now there are breweries. Right? Mm -hmm. So like um, this we're sitting in right now is uh, office and fermentation space. So this used to be a car shop. Interesting. The tap room used to be a VW uh, car shop. <laughs> um, and it, it just feels like those sorts of areas, uh, those car shops are right now moving north. Right. So maybe probably like 60 blocks or so. Okay. Like in the city. Like oh. just, um, there was, um, yeah, an another one. So even the industrial spaces are gentrifying. The yeah. car shops are being kicked out of <laughs> yeah, 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 breweries. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's kind of an interesting thing, right? It's, it, 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 it makes sense, that higher ceilings, the yeah. sort of yeah. open space. Mm -hmm. And if, if breweries are moving in there, then they're moving out. Then at some point, I wonder I wonder how that works. Yeah, well, and, and, car, shops, and car shops are the ones that had a reason to, to remain close to residential areas. Mm. So mm. they're sort of one of the last ones to go, I think. Right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. oh. So, do you know the history of Red Hook? They were in, yeah. They were that. The, so the original Seattle brewery was also in uh, some kind of uh, auto body shop, or I don't know, it was some yeah. kind of. That's right next to the new Fremont one that you're in right. yesterday. Yeah. Um, Which is, I guess, the building is gone, but uh, yeah, they not, yeah they knocked it down. Now it just it's not a car shop, but it just stores like trailers or something. It's uh, like, like it's just like a yard that stores trailers. <laughs> no respect. There, there no was respect. a great Ethiopian restaurant in there, wasn't there? Mm -hmm. uh, really good food, but you're literally sitting on the sloped 
floor of I think like the brewery, like right. the seat was like sideways. It was like weird. It was, but yeah, they they didn't survive. But the food was good, even mm-hmm. though the floor wasn't flat. Yeah. Right. Um, and coming back to the food, another interesting thing in the Seattle market, there is quite a nice like a symbiotic relationship between breweries and food trucks. Right. So we um, support each other. These two different complementary mm-hmm. industries. So you guys have a food truck that comes Friday and Saturdays? We have several, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, we work with a few. Um, Also great small family-owned businesses that are just mobile and can come and work with us here when the city is... When the city allows it. (laughs) (laughs) Edit that part out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because... Food trucks are big in Portland as well, right? Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, and and the few tasting room, well, except Upright's such a weird space. There's nothing else can do, but, but Gigant- Gigantic, for example, they're very similar to you and an old, I don't know what that place was, but it probably was some kind it's of an entire auto, auto body shop or yeah. something like that. And they have a food truck or two that come. There's a new brewery called Level. They have yeah. the same model. So, yeah, yeah that's it's definitely a model we're seeing. Uh, mm. But... <clears throat> yeah, I, I think it's good because you can specialize on being good at one thing rather than not very good at multiple things, and yeah. um, uh, it, it's, it's, a, it's a little bit more logistics, right? Into trying to schedule the mm-hmm. different trucks, and if they don't turn up, and you've got a commitment to your customers to have food there. Uh, so yeah. uh, for us, it's a space issue as well. So like we have a space behind the brewery that we can put a food truck and down the side. So if a, truck is a certain size it can fit in right right right, right. But, but what i have noticed is um again going back to when we first started it's all about the beer right it's got to be the beer, the, yeah, beer. Yeah. the the question i got asked on email more than any other question is do you have food or what food truck is there yeah and it probably is, is interesting because i think i think it does make does make some sense but for me being totally focused on trying to be good at one thing it was like a curveball at the time right? yeah um, and uh, I, I think it's an important, important option for people. Mm-hmm. That it, I mean, it, the thing is, if you want to go to a pub and sit there for a few hours, yeah. you need to have something to eat, or else you're going to get, you know, too drunk, or you, it's just too much. And so, uh, I think it's probably a testament to their interest in sitting and drinking a lot of beer. Yeah, yeah. So and how important yeah. are taps room, tap rooms, and what 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 percentage of your volume do you sell yourselves here? That's a good question. Um, I don't have the numbers to my I hand. don't have them to hand, which is embarrassing. But no, no, um, it's, a, it's about a ninth, about a ninth, like okay. about ten okay. percent. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Fine. probably something like that. Um, of volume. Do you, do you think it's it's mm. important in other ways though, in terms of sort of marketing, name recognition, community outreach? I don't know. I. Uh, well, I think both support each other. I mean, people come to the tap room because they've tried our beer. Mm-hmm on tap at a bar or restaurant somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, People will buy your beer out of a store because they've had it on tap at yeah. somewhere or right. seen it somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think uh, I haven't worked out when the economies of scale... I haven't worked out when the economies of scale work out so that a distribution brewery is viable. Mm-hmm. But, so I, but I know even at our size, I don't think we'll be viable if we didn't have a tap room. Mm-hmm. Ah, okay. Interesting. But that's part of our model as well, right? Okay. So like we're brewing not for production efficiencies, we're trying to make the best beer that we can, whatever beer that is. Right. Not like what we have in a silo, what more we have in a silo, what 
house are you strained we have like we're not constrained by those things right. mm -hmm. but um and there's got to be a tipping point right where a distribution brewery by itself becomes viable but i know most small breweries wouldn't be viable without the tap room margin right? and when you said nine percent you mean by volume right by volume so the by, yeah. by by income it's actually higher than that because you earn more in the tap room than you do yeah right. so it's got to be like 25 percent or something yeah. like that mm -hmm. um but um it's it's a great way of showing what who we are mm -hmm. i think um you have to be kept like some breweries in california in particular have multiple tap room models mm -hmm. like six tap rooms or right. you know um i think beer advocate did a article on it recently explaining like, like different breweries with multiple tap rooms yeah stuff. ballast point has them all over the place yeah i mean that's partly because of the money behind them but still but it, it's interesting yeah i was surprised about that too yeah I, and, and i um we have wholesale customers so at some point you're gonna take their business right, right. and right. like it at some point it becomes not a brand building thing it becomes a just a revenue generating right. sort of option which uh if it's a brand building piece then it makes total sense to me like um mm -hmm. but if, if you're starting to essentially compete with your customers that doesn't make sense yeah. uh, that's not the point of doing it yeah mm -hmm. you know so for us it would be nice to have um another tap room at some point but it would be more designed around helping our our wholesale customers right helping build our brand in their area and we should all benefit it wouldn't be like okay we're going to plaster seattle with six of these on every street corner <laughs> like starbucks you know um but if it was um, you know olympia would be fun um grace's family is out out that way and, um or Portland, maybe Portland. one day. I don't yeah. know. That would be a lot of fun because yeah. we, we got engaged in Portland. So it's, oh, uh, you did? Yeah, yeah well, we did. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Who asked so, who? I did, but it, the plan didn't work kind out. Of. <laughs> <laughs> you kind of asked me. Sounds like that happened with my, in my life, too. <laughs> yeah, the plan went horribly wrong, didn't it? Because, like, yeah. where I wanted to do it didn't look at all like it, wasn't at all like it looked on, on the internet. It was like, we're in this bright, restaurant really bright lights and it was like looked like little booths on the on the internet uh, and so it was like i can't just ask in the middle of an empty room and then instead my, he asked me in like some well, the, the, <laughs> the backup plan was okay if i go two blocks down down here there was this nice lit it was around christmas time right mm -hmm. there was a nice lit part with all these lights mm -hmm. and it'd be like really really nice place to ask and then we went down there and like it wasn't it wasn't the lit part that I was <laughs> And it was like some shady sort of, <laughs> all totally dark and like kind of a little scary, wasn't it? And I was like, I couldn't. Couldn't do it there. Couldn't. No, he did it there. No, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't wait any longer. So your relationship with Portland is it has bad lighting. Too bright, too dark. Yeah. No. But, well, yeah, no, it was very endearing, and it's very, um, I mean, it's just well, who we are, right? Yeah. Let's yeah. <laughs> just do this, guys. It's kind of awkward. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of awkward. Somehow you managed to get it over the finish line. Yeah. Yeah. Here you are. Yeah. But it is interesting to think of, um, I mean, you've mentioned a few times about, like, Portlandians. Is that the, not the right word? Portlanders. Portlanders, Portlanders sorry. <laughs> um, 
blame the TV show. <laughs> that TV yeah. show. Um, you know, drinking Portland beer and not not our beer. So when when we go to Portland and I'm like, we've got a tap room, we've got 24 delicious beers, like we brewed hundreds of different styles. It's hard when you go to a, a new place where they have only a few package options to yeah. to sell yourself in that way yeah. when it's like that doesn't matter to them because what they have is what they have available in Portland. Right. Um, so, yeah, help us on that one. <laughs> okay, well, <laughs> you go, Portlanders. Your, your charge is to drink some Rubens. <laughs> hmm. No, but, yeah, Portland is a great town. And it obviously has a special place in that heart. Yeah, for yeah, multiple, nice. long, long time ago. Yeah, that's yeah. good. Yeah. Well, we should probably wrap this up. We've been talking mm. for a while, and I know you guys are busy. So, are you have like, another question? No, no, no. I was agreeing with you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so thanks so much for hosting us. It's been really pleasant to come to Seattle and see all this, and you know, uh, really nice beer. And I gotta say, this triumvirate—you won a—you won some medals for this, right? Mm. This thing, yeah. and it's not really widely available. You got to come here to get it, right? So. Yeah, yeah. So it's the house beer of uh, Browers, Burgundian, and Bottle Works. There so you that's are. where the triumvirate name comes from. Well, I can uh, highly recommend this beer. So definitely come you. to Seattle and try this beer. Uh, and, and come to Rubens and Ballard and, and check it on out. Tap. Yeah. yeah. Go, <laughs> see what they're doing. All right. Thanks, guys. Right. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. All right. So that was Adam and Grace Robbings of Rubens Brews. Thank you very much for hosting us. And uh, the triumvirate was exceptional it really was <laughs> they gave us cans of 16 ounces and i think i was only by the way finished. i didn't decant i didn't decant. i drank straight from the can it's, i didn't it, have any choice yeah, but. exactly <laughs> <laughs> and still you recall it as great I, it was great it's true it See? would have been even better had i a chance to decant it likely so i would have admired its color and i would have admired the effervescence and i would have admired the aroma all things all things true yeah uh if you if 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 you are in the Seattle area and you can get triumvirate, you, you definitely should get some. Yeah, that, uh, was, a, that was one of the the really memorable beers from our trip there. Right. So uh, thank you very much for listening to another edition of the Beer Vana podcast. Um, we still have one more in our Seattle trilogy to go. Um, that's with uh, Fremont Beers. Uh, that'll be next week. Uh, until then, thanks for listening. Uh, word how to get in touch. Jeff, of course, can be reached and. And by reaching Jeff, you're reaching me too, um, at Jeff at com, or the Beervana Blog Facebook page. And Patrick can be found tweeting at Beeronomics, mm-hmm. uh, which is actually a good way to contact him because he actually checks his Twitter account. So if you need to ping him, do that. Do it that way. That's right. And you, are, you of course, tweet at Beervana. Yes. All right. So uh, as we go out, let's. Um, I'm going to grab, what am I going to grab? I'm going to grab the Goza from Rubens. I'll go with the Pilsner. All right. So uh, Adam and Grace, cheers. And cheers, cheers Jeff. Yeah. (laughs) Cheers to everybody.